Welcome back. Hope everyone's having a wonderful week. Today, I have the pleasure of bringing you the conversation I had with Adam Fight. Adam is the head strength and sports psychology coach at Precision Nutrition. And throughout Adam's career, he has had the opportunity to work with programs and athletes on all different levels, including being the strength and conditioning coach for the Carolina Panthers. He's worked with a number of Division I schools, and he also does a lot of work with teenagers and high schoolers transitioning into life or sport. And a lot of times transitioning into life can be just as complicated as if you were transitioning into a sport. This conversation goes anywhere from the effects of social media and the effects on expectations and relationships it can cause to properly setting your goals and how you need to set attainable goals and you need to make sure you're celebrating you know milestones along the way i really enjoyed the conversation Um, and if you do too please share and share with friends and family and continue to spread the good word of good health and things we can do to better optimize ourselves as individuals and the community so without further ado here is my conversation with adam Welcome to Live Life in Motion, a podcast designed to educate and motivate each of you to reach higher and go further than you ever have before, building the tools you need to empower your mind and body to thrive in the Live Life in Motion mindset. Dr. Adam, how are you doing today, man? Glad to have you. I am glad to be here, Sam. It's a great opportunity to connect and talk about all things health, fitness, and coaching related. So appreciate the opportunity to join you today. Yes, sir. And, you know, to kind of start, let's just give people a brief background just so they know who you are and what you're coming from. And then we'll get into a lot of different subjects. Sure. I've done this two ways. Do you want me to start from way back when to get to now, depending on how much time we have, or do you want me to start most recent and kind of work backwards? Let's do most recent and start backwards. Okay. Awesome. I I appreciate that strategy because then I find myself telling stories about grad school and that thing (laughs) with that person at that time. And it seemed like a good idea, but it wasn't. So most recently... I finished my PhD this past fall, so the end of 2020 at the, I mean, I'd like to say at the end of a pandemic, but pretty much right in the middle of it. So actually, I studied sport and exercise psychology at Springfield College, worked on that for about four years. The last almost six years, I've been with the team at Precision Nutrition. So we're the world's largest nutrition coaching certification and software company out there. We are using research-backed behavior change strategies to help, you know, people live their best life in all dimensions of health and wellness. So I've been part of that team the last almost six years. I'm in curriculum development. I do a lot of time spending some quality time with people like yourself, spreading the good word of PN on podcasts and seminars. If you believe when that was a thing and last year around this time, I was actually overseas in Sweden, at uh, one of the CrossFit conferences. So do a lot of that work. I've taught the level two certification masterclass program as well. So a year long intensive coaching education program. So that's been a lot of my role at Precision Nutrition. It's been evolving every year. Before that, I've spent, let's say, probably the better 10 to 15 years 
concurrently with some other roles, but as a strength conditioning coach. So I've coached in the NFL. I've coached at the Olympic level. I've been a co-founder of my own private performance facility for youth athletes. I've been a coach at division one as well as division three. So a lot of different things, a lot of different license plates hanging up in my garage gym right now. Done a lot of things, met a lot of people, but the people have been the forefront of who I've worked with uh, from all ages. So hopefully that's a little bit uh, brief description. So I don't take up too much of your bandwidth today. No, without a doubt. And, you know, that's perfect. And, you know, I've, I was listening to you earlier today and, and you were talking about the long term development model um, and how people can get too anxious about wanting results within a couple of weeks or a couple of months. How do you go about the long-term development model and finding that client or that athlete and trying to figure out the best steps for them? Yeah, great question, Sam. I, as a strength coach, you know, someone that's identified as a strength coach for so many years, I always relate it back to programming and training because, and even in higher ed and academia, they use what's called like a backwards design model. And I just call it periodization, right? You never just go phase to phase, day to day, unless you're working under some very unique constraints and environments, but you always have to have a plan. That plan, as we know, in 2020 and 21, can easily be thrown out the window, can be changed, modified, adapted, whatever the case may be. But all too often or not, clients come to us with this like goal. And it could be anything, and I won't go into the, the details behind like why it's a good goal or bad goal, but it's just simply a destination that I feel and what I've seen with a lot of the research and the people that we've worked with, it's just one spot on a map, but it's not truly the final destination. And so when we talk about long-term development, whether it's athletic development or actually digging and uncovering our clients' whys, it's important to play both the short game and the long game. And so that takes up a lot of time. It's very easy for any one of us to sit here and say, I want to achieve X or I want to perform Y and I want to do it by Z, whatever the case may be. But to actually take time at the initial set point of having a conversation, remaining curious as a coach and almost challenging the preconceived notions of what they think they're capable of. Because I, among yourself and probably a lot of the listeners tuning in, we have learned what we're capable of far more than we ever thought possible, especially in recent times. And so for me, that long-term development model is about slow cooking that process. I think that's a metaphor I use a lot where we're throwing things in that crock pot. I'm not worried about, hey, it's high heat for four hours. I'm going to set it to low. And I'm going to make sure that we are celebrating the wins along the way. We are recognizing the bright spots. I am providing client-centered feedback. And I'm inching them, pushing them, guiding them to get them to realize that there is more to what you get at the end of the road. And something I learned very, very long time ago when I first started coaching was it's not what's at the end of the road that matters most. It's the road itself. And that comes out of a book I read many years ago by Frosty Westering that talks about we rush, we hit the expressway, we put our foot down to the pedal and all of a sudden we get there and it's like, now what? So I want to spend a lot of time in that long-term development model of being like, where are we going? But where are we ultimately going? And in the periodization model, let's work backwards. What does that situation look like? What does it feel like? Show me, tell me, demonstrate what that person. So let's say it's you, Sam, what are you doing? Who are the people around you? And how can we make those things happen by breaking those down into what we call like a skills practice action model at precision nutrition, we can then identify the next thing and do the thing before the thing needs to happen. So 
I'll pause there. I, I know I see some heads moving and whatnot, but it's important to not just settle for what's next, but rather question yourself and question them about what's possible and then appropriately working backwards accordingly. No, and I mean, that makes perfect sense. And when you think about it, how important would be the short-term goal setting almost on a daily basis? Or how do you recommend people setting their goals? Yeah, so it's going to be different for everybody, obviously. The biggest misconception I see a lot with goal setting, and it comes from, you know, I've looked at the research, I've been studying it for years now of everybody just wants to make it smart, right? It's got to be specific. It's got to be measurable. It's got to be attainable. It's got to be realistic. It's got to be timely. You can put a why in there for you. You can do whatever you want. That's all great, except there's no action. So now I've identified a goal. It's specific. I figured out what I want to measure it. I realize if it's attainable and if it's realistic and I put a date on it, that's all fine and dandy, but what is the thing I have to do or what are the things I have to do within that goal setting framework? So in sports psychology, we talk a lot about, is this a performance goal? Is this an outcome goal or is this a process goal? And we talk a lot about using techniques called like goal laddering, where essentially I'm at the bottom of a ladder. This is where I am. Maybe it's reality right here. And I want to get to the top of the ladder. And I reach for that ladder, that outcome without any action planning, without any short-term wins or celebrations along the way. And then I look at that. I'm like, wow, how am I going to get up there? The reach is too long. What are the things to help me build momentum, to build competence, to build confidence along the way? So a strategy, an easy strategy of that is, is like you pointed out, is what are the things along the way that I can celebrate that I know is giving me meaningful feedback that I'm getting closer to those goals? And there are great apps out there, for instance, uh, Happy Scale. No, no plug whatsoever. Something so small, a free app that I've used for just tracking weight loss is you put in your starting weight, you put in your ending weight, and it gives you a milestone right away. Okay. That, that milestone is great. That's your outcome goal, but we're going to celebrate when you lose four pounds. And then we're going to tell everybody about it. We're going to let you know about it and you feel great. And then it adjusts. You reach that four pound weight loss and then it goes, all right, the next one is another three pounds. So it really does come down to, yes, the long-term strategy, the long-term outcome, whatever we're searching for and striving to get to is crucial, but you're never going to get closer until you realize how far you've gone. And in order to do that, you've got to celebrate those small things along the way. And those are the performances. Those are the small process oriented details to help you get there because it's not going to just happen overnight. You've got to find ways to, again, improve your adherence, to improve your consistency along the way and finding whatever that is. For some people, it could be daily. For some people, it could be weekly. Some people it's monthly. Maybe it's quarterly. Working with a great coach is a big part of that process. But if you have no feedback along the way, it is a long, treacherous journey by yourself trying to get to a place where you've never been before. So I highly recommend that you're doing both throughout that goal setting and achieving process. How much responsibility should or do you think a coach should have in keeping their client accountable for these goals? Great question. I actually did a student lecture this morning with a school out of Wisconsin for a partnership that we have. And a, a similar question was there, right? How do I help them achieve their goals, but I feel like I let them down? And to, to spin it in your direction of what is the responsibility of the coach, I think that has to be outlined in that coaching agreement, in that check-in process at the beginning. What we know, and I think the pandemic has taught us more than ever, especially, let's say, the work I do with kids, is there are only so many things we can control, right? The cliche of control the controllables, right? Mm -hmm. And 
my thing is like, all right, what are those controllables though? In coaching, working with kids, we've I've really distilled it down to a lesson I learned years ago about controlling your inner ape. Your ape is your attitude, your preparation, and your effort. And so we come up with a little t-shirt, we come up with an emoji, and it's like, how are these the things that you're truly controlling? Because you can wake up with a great or bad attitude. Like my six-year-old the other day was a little testy and she's like, I woke up with a bad attitude. And I'm like, that's your deal. I'm not going to let your attitude affect my living. The preparation we have. So let's talk about meal prep. Let's talk about scheduling our workouts. Let's talk about, for me, living in New England, did I get up early enough to turn on the pellet stove in the garage gym? Because I finally got a heater in there. And I'm like, man, this takes up a lot longer than I thought. That's preparing. And then it's the effort that we put forth, right? So in terms of, of that in the process, it's important to this is their goal. However, that arrangement is met, I will always err on the side. And this is just my background as a support staff. I'm not going to be the one that's solely responsible for you doing the thing. I'm going to be in a support role because you are the one that's going to have to make the decisions. I'm going to be there to guide you, to support you. In coaching recently, we talk about like, we're the guardrails to make sure that you don't go over the edge. We're the rumble strips to make sure that if things are kind of getting a little hairy over here, we snap you back on course. We're the lighthouses on the coastal areas to let you know, hey, danger, like you're getting a little too close, but I'm not going to do the work for you. I'm going to remain a, a very non-judgmental spectator, observer, patter on the backer, whatever the case may be. But this all comes down to motivation is if, if I'm doing the work for you when I'm there, who's going to be doing the work for you when I'm not there, when I've moved on, when you've achieved your goal, when you're doing maintenance, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So to tie all that in, I'm going to care a lot about them reaching their goals. I'm going to get them to think about the things that they're doing, to think about the things that they're not doing. I want to facilitate a discussion that they discover the answers to the issues they have, because if we give them enough time, they already know the answers. They just need somebody to help draw that out of them. And, And we do a lot of that in a technique called motivational interviewing, where We wait. We're not rushing to give solutions. We're not telling them exactly what we would do because it's their situation and their story is unique to them as an individual. I'm invested, but I need you to be more invested than me because this is your life. These are your decisions. And so I try to tread that carefully as as much as possible. But to any client you work with, and there's different styles. I mean, some some clients you work with, you are responsible for the results. Mm -hmm. You're working with what we call level three clients or people that get paid to look a certain way or perform a certain way. I remember very much early in my coaching career working at high levels where it was on me if they didn't make weight. Mm-hmm. And as a young coach, I'm like, oh, I've got to do everything. And then I get upset and then I get personally attacked. And then I feel like you're not invested in it. And then I get older and I'm like, how is that on me? Like, I'm not the one feeding them. I am not the one sleeping next to them in their dorm room to make sure that they're not sneaking food. I can only do so much, but it's, it's got to come with it. Live Life in Motion is brought to you by CBDMD. I am very pumped to have CBDMD as a partner. They are the most legitimate CBD company out there. All their products are THC free. They're all third party tested. Really, they're trusted by a lot of the best athletes in the world. I've used CBD for a long time and their products at CBDMD are simply the best. I love their gummies. Really, there's a lot of uses for CBD. I like to use it for sleep and really any type of recovery. Um, It really can help inflammation. So 
go to their site, cbdmd.com, look up some products, and use promo code LIVE25 at checkout, and you will save 25% off your order. So it's a pretty darn good deal. Go to cbdmd.com, use promo code LIVE25 at checkout, and start living healthier. And that's something I've, I've had to figure out how to balance, right? Like how often am I going to be reaching out to make sure they're, you know, doing the things they need to do? Or am I going to back off a little bit and maybe they'll make some mistakes? Like a big thing I know with my clients is we're all human. We're all going to make mistakes, mm-hmm. but it's how we respond to making those mistakes or, or doing whatever we're doing. And you spoke about it a little bit there. So you do work a good bit with the youth and kind of transitioning from youth sports to, you know, maybe high school sports and then going on into college sports. And, you know, I think a big thing as well is what happens after college, you know, if they're not going to a professional level and they're going into the workplace. So kind of talk about that transition from a youth level all the way up. Yeah, it's such a great question because it's something that I'm very passionate about and actively working with the institution that my wife is a faculty member at and that I do some volunteer work at because I'm at a Division three school. Very, very few people leave a Division three school and play professional sports. I was one of them, right? So my claim to fame was I got to coach in professional sports. So we can <laughs> throw that on the letter. But when we create such a dependence, I believe, and again, I, I could be wrong, but something I've noticed over the years when we create such an external support on people or systems and structures telling us what to do, when to do it, how hard to go, how easy to go, when to wake up, et cetera. Right. I I've spoken with a coach. They call it like the life of the itinerary. Let's take professional sports. For instance, there are people right now that just got done with the Super Bowl. They may not get renewed next year. That's the name of the game, but they're so used of having the itinerary where to go, when to meet, what to eat, when to show up, et cetera. If we don't build in those opportunities to teach them those life skills of self-care, of writing their own workouts, of how to make healthy, let's say, portion sizes with their meals, it is going to be a sad story. It's going to be something that we see on TV. It's going to be something that we read in the headlines. And so what I've noticed working at every level, and I'm glad you talked about it from a spectrum, as a youth athlete, and again, I volunteer in my community with my kids and they're in elementary school, but We'll seek, we'll go to like middle school because I think that's where a lot of my training, I think at the base level, like mm-hmm. let elementary kids do their thing. Middle school, parents start to specialize and get all crazy, but like let's provide some some background here is they're very curious, they're very inquisitive and they don't know, right? Uh, there's these segments of, you know, I know what I know, I know what I don't know, I know what I need to know and I know what I don't care to know. Kids at that level, they just don't know. They think everything mom and dad give them is healthy. They think what they're doing with their friends is uh, purposeful, et cetera. So you spend a lot more time during that stage, like in that education model, because they just have no clue. They're just oblivious. It's like that ignorance is bliss phase, right? Once they start to, to grow and to mature into that high school, now it's about, hey, they have an idea, but they're so involved and affected by social perception, the people they associate themselves with, their friends, the cliques, right? So they may have a great idea of whatever. We'll just talk about how to train or how to eat properly for performance, but that becomes affected by the people around them. And so all of a sudden it's not, I'm just working with this client. Now I'm working with the the social validation from their friends, the influences from their parents, or now their coaches. And so really you're involving like a bigger ecosystem to, to work with. 
you get to the college level for a lot of them, it's a shell shock of like, hey, all that matters is the job that you do for this school or institution, right? I've worked with kids that were walk-ons that would do everything for the program. And then all of a sudden get that opportunity where like it matters if we win or lose, the whole thing changes. You get scholarship players, you get people that are realize I had no idea it would be this difficult. So we have two choices here. We can say, all right, we're going to provide you with all the things, or we're going to actually help you develop the skills. And that's something we do a lot at Precision Nutrition is it's not just about eat 200 grams of protein. It's not about carb cycling and eating your starchy carbohydrates, potatoes and rice, whatnot, after you train. It's about what are the skills we need to learn that you can effectively, what we call self-regulate yourself in situations when you're at the Super Bowl, when you go to a friend's house, when you're at an off-campus party and you have to make these decisions. And so that's a big piece of that. And I think that's a transition to young adulthood, right? Mm -hmm. That time during college. And for some of us, high school, there's a lot of firsts, right? There's big milestones. First time I did this, the first time I did that, the first and last time we'll ever think that was a good idea, right? (laughs) Those types of situations. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, thanks, but we're moving on because if you don't win the last game of the year, you got to go on to the next phase. And what do you do? when there is no more team? What do you do when you don't have training table? Mm -hmm. What do you do when you don't get that stipend or you're getting paid for that image and likeness of your character in a video game? Mm -hmm. And so that is a big piece of where I feel as an industry, there can be so much value there of helping these former athletes, we'll just stay in the context of that, find themselves, make sure that they understand who they are as individuals. They're not strictly identifying themselves as a jersey or a number or a mascot of that nature. And you can apply that in every dimension of, of health and wellness. Mm-hmm. And so if you're still listening with us, if you're interested, I'd love to talk to you more about it because we need more change agents. We need more advocates to help these young people figure out what's next in their life. And that can that can be an instrumental piece of the puzzle. I, I'm 100% with you. Just like, I mean, for me as an example, playing sports my whole life and then, you know, being on the field or being on the court is where, I like to tell people it was my therapy, right? It's where I felt Mm -hmm. good. It's where I felt natural. It's where I felt at ease. And then you get thrown into, you know, 22 years old and you're out in the real world and you're trying to balance all these new stresses and jobs and relationships. And then that's when it can go south quick, right? And what, what what would you recommend for an athlete, you know, graduating college for them to do or resources they could reach out to, to kind of better transition? Yeah. Obviously, it's going to depend on your institution. I know, you know, speaking before we started recording about, you know, where you went to school and where I went to school, Mm -hmm. you know, remarkably different with the resources. But if you're somebody that is still connected in the program, you know, reaching out to obviously your sport coach, but having your sport, having you get connected to the administration, hopefully you have a position on campus. Let's say it's a, a coordinator of student athlete development. That's a position that we have at our institution, and I'm able to help facilitate and work with that individual to saying, okay, who do I need to connect with them in terms of dining services? Who is there in the career center that can speak the language of athletes? Who is somebody in the counseling department that can help work with this individual that is struggling through this athletic identity crisis? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, the resources are there. We have just been so wrapped up in our myopic view of the world, right? It's wake up, shower, practice, eat, class, repeat. And so what do we do when we have all this free time on our hands? Uh, Another big piece there is connecting with other members of your tribe or your team and exploring what's going on in campus rec. Now is a little unique time, but 
all of a sudden now I can start doing the activities or I can start training the way that I always wanted to, but I couldn't because I had to be bigger, faster, skinnier, leaner, whatever for my sport. So communicating with Campus Rec, are there opportunities for fitness outside of the sport is a crucial piece there. So I always encourage, right? You've got all of these different pillars of performance. You've got mental performance. You've got physical performance. Uh, you've got social performance. You've got all these areas or what at PN we call deep health. What domains do you have on campus available to you? And who is that person that can help drive those discussions? And so coming from a division three background, I know if we have them, a lot of other schools will have them as well. For sure. And and when we talk about, you know, once we do transition or people get into the real world or, you know, working nine to five jobs, sitting behind a desk, you know, and there's a lot of different stressors, there's a lot of anxieties, you know, you're starting families. What, when you are meeting a client at maybe wherever they're at and, you know, they're really just looking for like longevity. They're looking for, you know, higher optimization performance within work life and personal life. How was that, you know, what would you, where would you start? Where would you recommend? What's a, you know, a nutrition schedule or a fitness schedule in a combination, mental health, you know, all those things. Yeah, I think it's exactly what you said, Sam. You said where they're at. And as a coach, that's been one of the most pivotal learning lessons I've learned, especially in my time at PN, is oftentimes we come up with our own agenda or we think we know what's best because I went through that similar situation or I know a buddy that also suffered through that issue and this is what they did. Failure to recognize, celebrate, and acknowledge where our client truly is at that moment is going to be a disaster for the coaching relationship for a multitude of factors. Number one, it comes down to you're not accepting the challenges that have been laid before them and what they're really going through. You might say, oh, it's not a big deal. All you have to do is that, right? Mm -hmm. So it builds on that notion of like what you're going through is not a big deal. Or secondly, in, in terms of other factors, you're assuming what they know or don't know. And I think that's a big piece of that could be a big miss. So starting off with where they're at, taking the time to actually get to know their situation, to truly understand what we call it a biopsychosocial perspective or a 360 degree view, right? Put your feet on the ground and take a look, not head on a swivel left to right, but all the way around you. Why are they making those decisions? What support systems do they have in? What environmental barriers are in their way? What are their obstacles? What does their time allotment look like? What are their priorities? And so Everybody wants to get into coaching and they think, oh, it's great. Yeah. Health optimization. I'm going to help you live your life. Here's a couple supplements to help you do that. We fail to acknowledge all of the stressors, like you pointed out earlier, that could be contributing to their current condition or the current worldview that they view themselves in the world around them. And for me, it is about, I may take a little bit extra time at the beginning, or if I don't have that hour or 45 minutes or you know, my coaching practice is crushing it and I can only do things throughout the week. I'm going to slow drip thoughtful questions that is going to require a lot of reflection on their end, because as a coach, the more information, and I do it from a compassionate and genuine and authentic manner. I'm not trying to treat this like a doctor's office where, you know, oh, you're a new patient. And it's like 10 pages of assessments. I want to create stories. I want to find ways to connect with them on a genuine level. I get what I need to do and maybe take a first step, but then I'm going to throw some follow-ups in there. I'm going to find what best communication method works for them that I can comprehend. So if I'm working with a kid and he's like, coach, I'm always on IG. I'm like, I got you. 
I'll draft my messages up and I'll figure out a timer and I'll send them through there. If I've got somebody, let's say I'm coaching an older family member and that whole email thing is not really a thing and it's a phone conversation. Okay. I'm going to do my very best to meet them where they're at. And so it's important for me to do the front loading of information gathering in the coaching process because all too often or not, I get down the rabbit hole and I'm like, wow, I wish I knew that. Or that would have been insightful to know when we first started talking about this, because I could be completely digging in the wrong hole, or I could be completely preaching to the choir and having no idea. So hopefully to answer your question, you know, where do I go? What do I do? I take my time. I remind them that it's not an overnight fix. And I let them know that, Hey, we're going to might be talking about some things that are going to come up. I respect what you are willing and not willing to do. I think it's an important thing to decipher as well as what you're willing and not willing to share but I can tell you from experience, it's a lot more. You'll get a lot more from this relationship than simply looser clothes, a better feeling about yourself, and maybe you know better control over your food. It's going to be so much more than that. And recognizing that, again, it's a slow cooker. It's going to take time. That's what's going to keep it simple. That's what's going to keep it sustainable. And that's what's going to keep them for long-lasting change. How important is it for you when you're working with clients to build up your client, right? Give them confidence, make sure they're having fun or, you know, having joy in their life. Man, it is so important. I go back to one of my first professors in sports psych said, brag on them. Every chance you get, you find an opportunity to celebrate it. Now you got to be careful here, right? They don't want to hear about every single little accomplishment where you're just annoying them. And, And something we talk about a lot in coaching is, are you praising them? Or are you giving them affirmations? Because when we praise them, we're associating their success to what they did. When we affirm them, we're celebrating who they are and what they're already doing. And so as a youth coach, yeah, I'm going to throw some high fives. I'm going to put in some feedback sandwiches, right? I'm going to put in some constructive criticism there, but I'm also going to make sure that I celebrate them. But we often assume that they don't need it, or I'm coaching them tough, or that's how I was coached. I don't need to hold their hands. Have you asked them? Like as simple as that is, how well and how often do you receive feedback? And that's a job interview question I ask people. What do you do? How do you handle feedback, good or bad? What does that look like for you? And actually taking the time to ask them, how would you like me to celebrate that? And what I used to do we used to, when we ran the gym, we called it Friday follow-ups. We were working with 200, 300 kids per season. So we'd run a a seasonal basis because kids are playing sports in the winter or fall or spring, whatever the case may be. And I would always keep a notebook and my coaches would always keep an extra piece of paper or the coaching script. And I want you to find something that was so subtle. That was so nobody would ever notice whether that was, you didn't give up in a drill, whether that you helped coach somebody else. And I would call that out and I would CC the parent on the email, or I'd send it to the IG account. And I'm like, Hey, You may not have noticed, but I did. And I want to let you know that what you're doing is making a difference, et cetera, et cetera. I'm so proud of you. Keep up the great work because you are making leaps and bounds in your development. And when I did that on a regular basis, right, uh, they could catch on to that. So I think the idea of like infrequent Mm -hmm. and not necessarily scheduled feedback is a good piece there. What I think also is a great tactic is, and I've told younger coaches this as I've worked along the way, is to reach out when you've clocked out, 
right? If you and I are coaching and we're on the floor and whatever, let's say we're, we're working 12 to eight, we're personal training, we got six or seven clients. It's our job to give them feedback, right? They're paying us to correct their form. They're paying us to motivate them, whatever the case may be. But when you send a text at like 10 o'clock at night or eight o'clock on a Saturday morning, and you see something, you read something, you heard a song, and it reminded you of them, and then you send it, it is it blows their mind because mm-hmm. they're thinking right away, wow, it's 10.06, it's the end of the Super Bowl, you saw this commercial, and hey, Sam, man, I just, I thought of you when this came on, I hope you're doing well, I haven't seen you in a while, would love the chance to catch up. The fact that like the subtlest little thing could actually get you to remember them or what they did or did not do, that goes so much further than your typical Friday afternoon check-in. Hey, Sam, how'd the week go? Mm-hmm. Anything you want to focus on before our next meeting? Hope all is well. Talk to you later. Exactly. And you you touched on it a little bit with the IG social media. How big of an impact do you think psychologically you know, social media has had on individuals, athletes, really anyone. Yeah, I am cautious to answer this the way I truly feel (laughs) because (laughs) I think it's done a lot of bad for the social validation piece, the comparison, right? I used the term like fitfluencer earlier about like, hey, live in my home studio. No, I'm in my kid's playroom right now. That's the reality of it. I'm going to go pick them up from school in a couple minutes. It has done a lot of that, of that comparison of what is good, what is perfect, what is better, what is not good, what is not perfect, what is not better, Mm -hmm. especially with the youth athletes. I remember constantly seeing photos of of likes and tweets and shares of like, and the comments, like the shallow, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, the shallow comments, Mm -hmm. people that are leaving like, OMG, you're so beautiful or amazing with three Gs, right? And we look for that. And I think- I'd like to think that social media giants like those companies are trying to do a better job of not making that a priority. I think we can kind of see some differences in the algorithms. However, it's not black or white. It's not right or wrong. There have been some really good things. Access to information can be a very good thing in terms of research or having athletes, some of the best in the world, to share their struggles. You know, we're talking about mental health, right? To have people actually be out in the open and say, no, 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 no. You have a physical coach. You have a physical therapist. You have a strength conditioning coach. Like I've got a mental coach, right? There's nothing wrong with that. So demystifying that idea of the unspoken and breaking the stigma of that, I think can be very powerful. Unfortunately, with everything that I've seen and a lot of the younger coaches and trainers that are trying to build their businesses, right? Uh, they're, they're putting out so much content in hopes of getting that like and getting that favor and getting that share. And at the end of the day, it's like, well, is that contributing to your bottom line? Is that contributing happiness? Is that adding value to your coaching practice? Mm-hmm. I'm all about sharing content. I've got content stowed away for months when I'm ready to finally get it out on a regular basis. But if that content isn't bringing me closer to the KPIs I want to recognize or the OKRs and all these fancy other terms of like, is this making me more money or is this getting me more clients or is this getting me another speaking or podcast opportunity? Mm -hmm. What's the point? So I think it's, you've really got to look at it from a critical lens and ask yourself, what is the purpose? What is the value of me being on social media? It can do a lot of great things, but I think you have seen it as well. It can do a lot of unfortunate things when you become so predisposed and so infatuated with who's watching, who's commenting, and who's not commenting. 
it can do a number on your your mental and physical health. And not to mention, uh, I mean, to mention expectations too for your clients. Yeah, they look at that. So I'm glad you bring that up because I kind of went off on a tear there. But, you know, you look at this person who looks a certain way mm-hmm. and all you have to do is do this. All you have to do is do that. For me, that was go- growing up, going to the grocery store and buying the Flex Bodybuilding magazine <laughs> that was like four inches thick. And I was like, this it's huge. And it was all supplements, right? Mm-hmm. And you're, you're going to tell me that like Ronnie Coleman and Jake Cutler, <laughs> all they're using is nitro tech, right? Like all it is, is whey protein and creatine. But as a kid, you're like, I just have to do that workout. I've got to do the five sets of 12. I've got to do the German volume training, whatever the case may be. And so when we see those falsified expectations, the photo touch-ups, all of that thing, mm-hmm. I mean, hell, like we're watching TV the other day on Hulu and my wife's like, did you see that ad about the touch-up app? Like you can download an app and it'll just automatically touch up your face. And they're promoting as like, this is great. I can get rid of my blemishes. And I'm like, this is what's wrong <laughs> with, with the health and fitness industry here is we are promoting apps and programs and medium platforms is saying, we will fix your imperfections. Mm-hmm. You're ugly. You're not good looking enough. You're not fit enough. We can change that for you. Just pay the app subscription fees. So yeah, the, the perception there, and what it does for the coach-client relationship is awful, right? It is. Oh, did, did you see this? I saw so-and-so is doing this diet or they're doing this cleanse or they're doing this thing that's not eating and it's really working for them. Well, as, as we know, and, and I credit, uh, I don't know where I saw it from, but it was on social media, ironically. It was a picture of like an apple and it was talked about the idea of like, you don't see everything behind the scenes, right? So you see the photo on slide one of a beautiful, shiny, luscious red apple. You swipe left, all of a sudden you look at the back of the apple and it's rotten or it's Mm -hmm. eaten and that's all that. We have the power, the people that put on the social media, the the opportunity to see what we want them to see. And we've got to be able to be able to look at that objectively. And staying on the mental health, psychological, you know, point of things, when you're working with a client or, you know, you set up a program, how, how often are you setting up some mindfulness or some breath work or maybe some yoga, stretching? Um, yeah, all of the above. I think, you know, the key word there in terms of mindfulness, people have this association with mindfulness only being meditation or, you know, essentially uh, the breath work, for instance. Those are all valuable tools. When we break down mindfulness, we're really looking for non-judgmental awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my coaching practice, especially working with kids, I talk about like, let's shift into neutral, right? A lot of kids I work with, they're essentially learning how to drive. I had a Jeep Wrangler for nine years, God rest its soul. I had to sell it to get a more family safe vehicle, but whatever that we could talk about that another time. It was just fine the way it was. <laughs> you had to learn how to drive stick. And when you're in neutral, Oftentimes you're just there, right? You're acknowledging what's happening. Maybe you're coasting down the hill or maybe you're about to stop, right? You're rolling into a stop or you just, you don't have to go fast. You don't have to go slow. You're just in neutral. And it's when we create those opportunities that PN, we call that about noticing and naming. That's what we want to do or want our clients to do is we want them to notice how they're feeling, what they're thinking, what they're doing. And if we can get them to a point where we can name that non-judgmentally, we can now create the connections between thoughts and feelings and behaviors. And from our coaching perspective, from behavior psychology, get them to connect the dots and then to take action. And so meditation can be a form of active mindfulness, right? Because we are essentially uh, submersing ourselves in a state where we're allowing things to come up 
and allowing them to be. Breath work, I think, is one of the most underutilized techniques in terms, even just as a mental skill or tool to, again, calm the system, flip the switch to parasympathetic, uh, to get them in a state where they can actually appraise or perceive stress a different way. Mm-hmm. All things happen, but it's our response and our perceived uh, appraisal of the situation that causes us stress or not stress. I could show up on the podcast with you and be like, oh my gosh, it's another podcast. And I, I don't have any questions. I don't know what's going to happen. Or I can look at it like, wow, what a great opportunity. I get to connect with Sam, another professional in the health and fitness industry. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. And so by consciously being aware of my surroundings, by executing deep exhales, breathing through the nose, taking some time for the parasympathetic system to kind of take over of that activated state Mm -hmm. are all great tools. And when you have an opportunity like yoga, again, yoga for me as a bigger guy is pretty stressful. Mm -hmm. I don't find it very enjoyable. So to say everybody do yoga is kind of like a thing like don't eat past 7 p.m. It's like (laughs) a thing that you just can't say to everybody, right? And But flexibility, mobility, you know, something I recommend, even just as a, a subtle reminder to myself, I try and get my sessions in the morning, like right when my kids wake up before school starts. I don't always have time to put my feet up at 90-90, take some deep breaths and reset myself. Uh, but I do have to make some more mindful moments for those to occur because uh, you're wound up, you're stressed out, and that affects everything from hormones to how you approach your spouse to how you're parenting. And so those are all little what we call mindful moments that we can take throughout the day. I just hope I can do better and my clients can do a little bit more of those throughout their process. Without a doubt. And and what when we're talking about recovery, what's a what's a recovery day look like for you or maybe something you would recommend for a client or, or somebody, you know, new to recovery, right? And they don't understand the importance of recovery. Yeah. What I found actually, we just shot a TikTok video on this about uh recovery day doesn't mean do nothing. Yes. And For some of us, it may, right? I've had many recovery days. Maybe it was a day after a football game or a day after a strongman meet or powerlifting competition when I was younger, where you're just trashed. And it's like, I am doing nothing. I'm watching the game or I'm going to eat a little bit more calories, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. For many of us, though, we want to break that cycle of do nothing because what we find is that active recovery is more work, but it's purposeful and it's mindful work. So an example for me might be, I've gone out and done more hikes in the area since everything has been shutting down and opening up and closing and whatnot than ever before. What I've been able to do with that, now we have a puppy, I'm able to get outside. So now, okay, I'm getting great fresh air. I'm getting my vitamin D. I don't bring my phone with me sometimes. And that for me is an active restorative practice. So getting outside more is an easy active strategy. Uh, Very fortunate. I've been collecting equipment for a number of years. I've got a pretty awesome garage gym. To me, active recovery this morning was I did a you know Peloton walking workout on the app because that's on the free trial. And that was okay. I, again, built up a sweat, kept my heart rate in the recovery zone, and I felt better. It could be foam rolling, self-myofascial release. It could be stretching. It could be whatever it is, physical activity. It could be doing your traditional exercises and doing them that at a lighter weight, increase the rest, rest, whatever the case may be. For me, for the most part, especially when I talk to my players, it doesn't mean just sit down and do nothing. Mm -hmm. And so whatever that could be, I've done sled dragging, any type of physical activity, continuous heart rate movement is always a great thing. But again, building in those practices too, breathing, yoga, meditation, stretching, mobility work, whatever the case may be, as long as you're showing up with like, this is getting me better. 
I'm not here to just sit around and get passive recovery. And there's value in that too. If I had a sauna, I'd be sitting in it, but I don't, right? <laughs> so you got to make the most of what you have. That's for sure. And when you, you know, you've been around some of the best coaches in a lot of different fields and there's, you know, coaches are made up of different characteristics and makeups. When you're looking at a successful coach, what are like the most common characteristics or makeup of, of a success, successful coach? Oh, that's such a great question. What I look at is, are they truly humble? Like, are they truly demonstrating the humility? Are they open to feedback from other people? And I'm talking about the people that are below them. I'm talking about the people that are on the same level as them, not just the people above them. And so a lot of this stems from like 360 degree leadership of like, are they willing to accept feedback from their coworkers? And doing so in a manner where they're not decisive, they're not angry, but with genuine open curiosity. A bigger telltale sign for that is the opportunity to take feedback, good or bad or neutral, whatever the case may be, from people that they're in charge of empowering. So this could be interns, this could be players, this could be subordinates, however we want to define that. So having the ability to be humble, open to feedback. Another key piece there is for them to actually see the situation through multiple lenses, okay? It's not just about, well, this is the way we're doing it because we've got to meet our quarter four objectives or this is going to affect the institution the way it is. I want them to be able to say, all right, from this person's perspective, it looks like this and it feels like that. So empathy is a big piece there, right? I'm not asking you to feel bad for me. I'm asking you to feel with me to understand the place that I'm coming from. You may not agree with me or my opinion about it, but you're allowing that space to, to open up and to occur. And you're trying your best to see it from my perspective. The best leaders, the best coaches I feel do that in a manner that is very conducive to their coach-client relationship. We know in counseling and in coaching, you know, I just did my research on it. The coach-to-client relationship is paramount for motivation, for satisfaction, for ultimate success. So I want those qualities to be there. And what I recently just talked about is this idea of autonomy, supportive relationship is it's not a controlling environment. It's a very supportive environment. They're looking for insight. They're looking for ideas from other people, right? I, I get at the end of the day, the buck stops with them, but are you truly allowing a little bit of autonomy? Are you letting me do my job? Are you respecting the opinions that I bring to the table? Mm -hmm. These are all bits and pieces of what defines a great coach. Um, and lastly, I mean, it comes down to what we call being client-centered or student-centered if you're a teacher or child-centered if you're a parent. Are you doing what's truly in the best interest of that individual? Are you meeting them where they're at? Are you using what we call awesomeness-based coaching strategies instead of awfulness-based coaching strategies? And are you allowing them to exist within their own dynamic of the relationship? Or are you telling and, and poking and prodding and directing and supervising mm -hmm. and managing? Those are all the other things. I'm looking for the person that respects me as an individual, that shows me with open, positive regard, uh, that no matter how you're showing up, I accept you for who you are and what you're bringing to the table. And we're going to make the most of the situation we have in front of us. That's amazing. And, and you know, as we're wrapping up here, I want you to kind of give your spiel or give, you know, let you have the floor. And if you're speaking with a group or an audience that, you know, maybe doesn't understand how important it is to take care of your body, your mind, your health, all that type of, you know, what would you tell them if, if they're new and they're looking to, I guess, just better take care of themselves. 
It's a great question, Sam, especially as we consider all the dimensions of, of health and wellness. Mm-hmm. And I would ask them to honestly think about a time where you didn't feel your best. And I want you to, to sit with that. I want you to recount that experience. Maybe this is an audit. Maybe this is an activity where we're doing or what we call in sports psychology, like an imagery script where we're actually, I'm giving you the audio file, let's say on Spotify or Apple podcast, whatever the case may be. And you're thinking about all of the things, how it's affecting you. So for the context of the conversation, let's think of a time where you weren't at your best physical health, right? I want you to think about all of the things that you have issues with. I want you to think about how difficult it is to maybe keep up with your kids when they're outside. I want you to think about how difficult it may be to fit in your clothing or to get ready for the day or the behaviors or thoughts you have around food and activity. I want you to think about the conversations that you have with your loved ones. I want you to think about the experiences you feel at work when people make comments. Uh, They could be microaggressions. They could be very subtle. They could be very large. I want to not paint a bad picture, but I want them to reflect on exactly how they feel in these situations. Because as we know, as coaches, nothing changes if nothing changes. And a simple philosophy that I've lived by a lot is that if the pain of staying the same is still less than the pain of change, then you'll continue to stay the same, right? The pain, the discomfort, I want to lean into that discomfort. If the discomfort is still good enough where it hurts, it upsets, it's more, it's the same or less than the pain of changing, then you're never going to change. And so I don't want to create this fairy tale of like, think of all the bad things. That's not what I'm trying to get to. I want them to actually take a critical lens of how is this connected to that? All right. So when you, when you didn't feel your physically best, how were you mentally? How were your relationships? Did you notice any connections there? Or when you're super tired and maybe we start off there, right? Tell me about when you're super tired. How did you act around your kids? What did you notice, right? We talk about noticing and naming mm-hmm. our ability to find, to help them find those connections that's what we're doing the data gathering. And then all of a sudden they start gathering all this data and they realize that like, wow, when I went 12, 14 hours without eating, I became pretty snippy. And then I snapped at my spouse or I snapped at my child. And then I went out and I just, you know, rummaged the the cabinets and cupboards and all of a sudden now I don't feel so great anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's use that as data. So I I know we keep talking about, or I keep bringing up this idea of like thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, but that's what it comes down to. And so it's never an isolated incident. Like we know in coaching, right? If your ankle hurts, there could be a good possibility. It's not from your ankle. Could be your foot, could be your knee, could be how everything else is connected, is to think about all the areas of wellness, all the dimensions of your life, your social life, your physical training, your mental capacity, uh, your existentialism, your purpose, your why, all of these spokes of the wheel and go through it and see if you can connect how that affected that. And then if that happened, then what else happened? And then let's sit down and take the time to evaluate, hey, what spoke or what slice of the pie, what do you think needs the most work here? Number one, or number two, which area are you ready, willing, and able to work on first? Because we can go for the lowest hanging fruit Let's maybe it's lack of sleep and you want to build a sleep ritual or you want to work on your portion sizing or your meal planning or journaling and taking some time for yourself in the morning for self-care. These could be low hanging fruits, 
or they could be like the big kahuna or the biggest log in the log jam that if I just kind of jiggle it, wiggle it, shake it, move it around, it's going to unload a cascade of awesomeness. We got to have that conversation and we can go back and forth, right? Some people are going, oh, if we're going to do it, we're going all in, right? <laughs> That's right. What I've noticed and what we've done, you know, working with over 150,000 people over the years is that building up those wins for those low hanging fruits, it works pretty well. And that apple two feet above you tastes pretty much the same as the apple six feet above you. And you don't need a ladder to grab it. So I'm all about creating awareness. I want them to acknowledge what's happening. And most importantly, I want them to adapt. So acknowledging the situation, having them become more aware about it, and then let's come up with a plan, let's adapt and let's act appropriately. What's your suggestion or message to maybe someone there in silence that's maybe scared to take the steps to get to where they wanna be? Know that it's a continuous cycle, it's a process, and there are more people dealing with something than you think otherwise. Again, going back to the social media perspective, we choose what to portray, right? I portray really good things on my Facebook. I celebrate my son doing a three by three Rubik's cube in less than three minutes, right? I celebrate when my wife became a co-author of a book. I choose not to share maybe some of the bad things. And that's, that's my choice. I don't believe Facebook for me is that platform. But to understand that what you're going through, there's a pretty pretty heavy, high probability, whatever we want to call about, other people are too. And if, again, we don't ask for help, if we don't normalize that help process, then you're going to continue to be in that cycle of shame or guilt or despair. And so it's important to recognize your support team. Uh, Nothing worth doing can be done doing alone. And we all have coaches in all areas of our life. We all have people that hear it all, that see it all, that uh, are part of it all and to to reach out to them accordingly and know that uh, there are a lot of things that we can do on our own, but there's so much more that we can't. And to to get to a place, to get to a position, to find the people around you that can truly bring you to a place closer to where you want to be than where you are now, that's the value of coaching. And at the end of the day, we call it like taking imperfect action. It's not going to be perfect. You're not going to find the best person. You're never going to have enough time. If it takes some time to reprioritize what's important to you, all right, we're off to a good start. But doing something, anything in the notion of getting better and providing yourself with the support you need is always going to be hands down a winning formula. That's amazing. What a message to to kind of close us out there. Dr. Adam, thank you so much for coming. It was an incredible conversation. I think people will get a lot out of it. And, you know, where can people find you or find your resources? I appreciate the opportunity, Sam. It was great to connect and I look forward to hearing this and connecting with some of the other guests, but really honor the opportunity to chat with you in terms of people can reach me. I'd say social media. I'm not on there too much, but I do get back to people. I'm just not posting awesome stuff. So I am on Instagram and Twitter at AE fight F E I T. I'm on Facebook as well. Uh, My email is adam.fight at precisionnutrition.com. So that's my work email reach out. I'll get back to you. I appreciate connecting with all of you and looking forward to all you doing amazingly wonderful things. So thanks for the time again. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, click subscribe on your listening platform for upcoming conversations.